Good morning. It's good to see you all on this glorious Easter morning. I've been thinking about you all week. I've been thinking about how good it is for us to turn to this story that we have heard throughout our entire lives, to hear this story of good news for all people in all places. And I've been thinking about how good it will be for us to hear that afresh and anew this very day. I want to welcome you to Preston Hollow. And I want you to know that over these last six weeks, we've been uh, wrestling with the questions that Jesus asked the disciples. Here's the thing that you need to know if you haven't been here. Jesus asked far more questions than he ever answers. In fact, uh, they asked Jesus 186 questions throughout all of the Gospels. And Jesus only ever answers them eight times. In fact, Jesus uh, responds to many of the questions that people ask of him by asking a question, over 360 questions of his own. So, on that Easter morning, when Mary and the disciples get to the tomb, it's fitting that Jesus has a question for them. The question we're going to explore today is this, whom are you looking for? Uh, listen now for the word of the Lord to all of us this day. From the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, listen, because this story, I believe, my dear friends, is the power to change our lives. It was early on the first day of the week while it was still dark. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the, other, the, then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed, or as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes, but Mary, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb as she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around. She saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She 
turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Remind us, O oh God, that you hover here. You hover in this very sanctuary just as you hovered over the waters of creation, just as you hovered over that empty tomb those thousands of years ago. So remind us that you hover here. Remind us that you hover here so that you can bring life out of death, hope out of despair, light in the midst of our darkness. Remind us that you hover here, O oh God, so that you can create afresh and anew this very day. So we pray that you would reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words and into the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, so raise your hand this morning if you had the very first iPhone when it came out. Do you remember when that happened? Okay, there are five of you. Um, every one of us, every, I don't know how many other people are here in the sanctuary, we all envied you when you got the very first iPhone. Do you remember that keynote in the very first day it was revealed? It was revolutionary that you would have a, a device that had a touch screen, a camera, and music all in a place where you could check your email and make a phone call. And send these things called text messages. Do you remember those? The iPhone changed our world. I suspect uh, this very morning that every person in this room has a version of the smartphone. If you don't believe me, just wait. Mine will ring here in a minute, right in the middle of the sermon. If, if, if you don't have an iPhone this morning, maybe you're in discussion in your house. <laughs> Maybe the discussion is happening. When should we get them the iPhone? Should we wait until they're 10 years old or 12 years old? I got to tell you, after the 8 o'clock uh, worship service, I had a couple families who came up to me and asked me if I would like to litigate in between the kids and the parents on that one. I got to tell you, I didn't have the first iPhone. I'm not that type. I don't get the first of anything. I like to wait. I like to wait until uh, they fixed all the bugs and have worked out all the kinks in the very first version. Maybe you're like me. Um, I held out for the iPhone 2. And I was really excited to go get the iPhone 2. I'll never forget the day that I went to the AT&T store. It was a glorious day. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. 
and the clerk handed me this iPhone. And there it was, in all its glory, it had a touch screen, a camera, it could play music, it could send an email, it could even make a phone call. Just a bit faster than the iPhone 1 could. I was uh, cleaning our house last week. I wasn't actually cleaning, I was looking for something. <laughs> And I opened up the, the drawer. We all have that drawer, don't we? The one that we just put all of our old stuff in. Well, I opened that drawer. It had been a while. And I opened it, and there they were, five old iPhones all in this drawer. Each one of them, the new and improved version of themselves. It became abundantly clear to me in that moment, as I was staring down at this drawer, that I'm the sucker that has bought every new and improved version of the iPhone that essentially does the exact same thing, albeit a little faster and with a little clearer resolution. The iPhone still makes a phone call, it takes a picture, it sends an email, just like the very first one did. But we are people who like things new and improved, aren't we? Why settle for the old, the, the, the outdated, the out-of-touch version, when you could have the, the better, faster, prettier, more efficient, smarter version? Though it seems to me uh, new and improved is an oxymoron. The very first iPhone was new. Something that is merely improved is not new. It's simply improved. The iPhone 10 is not a new iPhone. It's an improved iPhone. I think we sometimes forget that being new and improved are actually altogether very different things. This is why this is important. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early on that morning. She, uh, she came to that tomb expecting to find uh, the beaten and battered body of Christ. She came that morning carrying her pain and her memories. She came carrying her, her heartbreak and her loss. She came carrying spices to anoint his body, to, uh, to improve the state of his body, to honor him, to love him. Mary came expecting to find Jesus as she had always known him, as she had always seen him. Though when she arrives at the tomb, everything that she expected to find was not there. The stone had been rolled away. The body is not where it had been laid to rest. And so she runs and gets the other disciples. And after they leave in what I can only interpret, as puzzlement and amazement, Mary stands there and begins to weep because she thinks someone has taken him. The gardener then asks, uh, uh, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And she says, tell me where you have laid him and I will carry him away. And then Jesus says to her, Mary. 
She sees what she couldn't see before. It's Jesus. So it's Jesus as a new creation, a new person, not simply an improved and healed version of himself. He's something altogether new. Another way to put it is uh, this way. Uh, Jesus is not merely resuscitated. He has been resurrected. And there's a major difference, my friends. Jesus was not simply brought back as an improved version of himself, Jesus 2.0. No, Jesus died. And in his death, God brought Jesus back as a new creation, as a radical new beginning. Resurrection is not resuscitation. This is an important point for us to remember this morning. So important, we're going to do something that we don't normally do in Presbyterian churches, okay? Repeat after me. I'll go slow, don't worry. Resurrection is not resuscitation. Resurrection is not resuscitation. Except here's the thing, we like things to be resuscitated. It's easier if things are just resuscitated, and here's why. If things can merely be resuscitated, if the old thing can get a little bit of new life in it, then we can go back to when things were good. You don't believe me? How many of you have walked into the sanctuary this morning hoping that a relationship in your life will be resuscitated? For instance, uh, maybe it's a, a relationship with a partner or a spouse that you just wish could get back on the right track when things were good. How many of us have uh, walked into the sanctuary this morning hoping that a relationship with one of our children or one of our parents if we could just skip over all the pain and the hurt, if we could get it back to when things were good, just, Jesus, give me a little bit of that life. Or, how many of us feel like we don't have any hope anymore? Our life doesn't have any meaning. And we hope that Jesus will uh, resuscitate our life and we can get back to the good old days. Back when we felt like we had, we had a purpose in this world. How many of us are clinging to the memory of a faith that we once had? And we pray, we've come to hear this beautiful music this morning, to hear this glorious choir. We pray in the midst of it all that our faith will be resuscitated. Maybe we'll catch a breath of new air. Here's the thing. What Jesus has to offer is not resuscitation. What Jesus has to offer is resurrection, and this is why it is so important for us to get clear on this. I think and I believe if we ask God to merely restore or to resuscitate us to the way that we have been, then we are not asking God for as much as God intends to give. It seems to me in this story, God is not content simply to return 
or restore us to former things. Instead, God wants to give the gift of resurrection new and abundant life. And that is only something God can do. And the reason that this is so hard for me, and I suspect so many of us, is because for resurrection to take place in our lives, it means that something might have to die. And when something dies, that feels like the furthest thing from our control. But sometimes, something has to die in order for new life burst in. I say this uh, really kindly and with great care this morning. I know how hard this can be. I know how hard uh, this can be because I've seen it throughout my life. There was uh, this girl, her name was Jenny. Uh, Jenny was sitting at her lunchroom table in the cafeteria at her big high school up in the suburbs. She noticed uh, that the new girl, her mom got a job transfer, and so she enrolled mid-year. The new girl had just gone through the line. She was standing there just right on the edge of the lunchroom holding her tray, trying to figure out which table she could go sit at. Jenny saw her, and so the girl mistook Jenny's eyes as an invitation to come sit. Uh, the new girl got halfway to Jenny's table when Jenny stood up and said, uh, uh, real quickly, all the new and really ugly people, they sit over there by the trash cans. The girl was mortified, lost it right there, dropped the tray, started crying. I only found out about it because Jenny was in our youth group. Jenny came uh, on Sunday and she said, I, uh, I, done, I did the most thing at school last week. She said, uh, everybody at school thought it was funny. Everybody at school uh, thought that I was uh, being really cool, and so they came and they slapped me on the back, and they said, Jenny, that was great what you did to that new girl. And Jenny said, but here's the thing. I went home that night, and I wasn't able to sleep. I hated myself for what I had done and who I was becoming. And one of our youth group leaders said, Jenny, you know that you don't, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live trying to make fun of other people and try to be protective of your own emotions. Jenny said, well, I don't want to ever feel this way again. And on Monday, the, the, the craziest thing happened. They went back to school. Jenny sought out that girl. She apologized. And then at lunch, the girl was even more timid. She didn't even bother going through the line this time. She packed her home lunch. Jenny saw her over in the other corner of the lunchroom. When Jenny did the craziest thing that you can do, she stood up and she called her out by name. She said, uh, Ashley, why don't you come sit at our table today? You can have my seat. And she scooted over and made a seat 
for Ashley. Jenny wasn't perfect after this. That's not what resurrection is about. Though I will say Jenny was different. You could see it when she walked into to church the next Sunday. She sort of carried herself in a different way. You could see it in her face. Uh, the old life had gone. A new life had begun for her. Resurrection, not resuscitation. There was a guy in my last church. He was uh, really struggling at work. He, uh, he worked real hard and he had his dream job. Turns out it wasn't everything he had made it out to be. In fact, he hated going to work every day. Hated it. Even more, uh, he hated his boss. And he hated who he was becoming. We were at a coffee shop right around the corner from the church. He looked at me and you know what he said? He said, uh, you know, I've become so cutthroat at work. I get so stressed out when uh, the numbers don't come in like they should. I get like 30 minutes with my kids every night. And I spend half the time yelling at them. I hate who I've become. I just listened to him. It poured out of him. I didn't have to do anything. And at the end, I said, man, uh, can I pray for you? He said, yeah. I said, what can I pray for? He said, uh, will you pray that I'll find joy in my work again? So I did. A couple of weeks went by. He called me. My cell phone rang in the car. I answered. He said, you'll never believe what happened today. I was sort of hopeful. I said, oh, what? What happened? He goes, I got fired. I said, really? I said, was it a tipping point? Something go really wrong? He said, no, nothing like that. Reorg. Cut my position. We had just uh, filled out private school applications. I'm scared, man. I know I hated that job, but I was counting on it. I'm numb. You want to meet me for a cup of coffee? I said, yeah. Months went by. I mean, this guy put out more feelers and more applications than anybody I've ever known. And he was coming up empty. When he said it was, uh, he was up in the middle of the night one night, and, it, and, and a thought came to him, came to him just like that. He thought, maybe I'm looking for a job in all the wrong places. He said, I don't know what made me have this thought, but I began to wonder, if, uh, if, if I didn't have to work, what would I do? He created his own business, doing what he loved. I called him this week, asked him how he was doing. He said, Matthew, uh, I could have never imagined seven years ago that when I went through that dark night of the soul moment, when I was at my lowest, I could have never imagined the new life that was waiting for me. He said, I'm a new person. I'm certainly a, a different husband. I'm a better father. And I'm trying to be the boss that I most wanted all those years ago. 
Resurrection, not resuscitation. I'll never forget the summer I was interning at, at a church. I was like 12 years old. I was like 22 years old. <laughs> but I was sitting there uh, one afternoon. I was in my office minding my own business. And someone knocked at the door, and I, I, I went out. And there was this woman. She was uh, in her late 60s. And she looked... Look disheveled. And I said, everything okay? She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't mean to bother you. I'm, I, I'm sure you're in there praying and working on the sermon. I said, no, no, you're not bothering me at all. She said, can I come in? There's something that I want to tell you. I got to tell you. I said, yeah, come on in. Uh, you can sit right here. She said, do you mind if we shut the door? I said, only if you're comfortable with it. She said, I, I would really appreciate if we could shut the door. I don't want anybody else knowing about this. And I said, yeah, anything you need. What's up? She said, I, I came in today because I wanted to share something with you. And she pulled out this coin and she put it right there on my table. She said, I wanted to come all the way over here to tell you that today um, I've been sober six months. This is my bronze six-month sober chip. She said, uh, this is the first time in um, 20 years I can actually feel. I can feel the pain that I've been trying to numb with alcohol for the last 20 years. The pain of what it was like to have that broken marriage and to raise those kids by myself. I can feel the pain that I caused my boys and my family. And these last six months have been hell. She said, not because of not drinking. I mean, that's been hard. They've been the hardest six months of my life because I'm actually living and working through my own pain and my own stuff. I had to come and tell somebody that today, six months now, I feel like I'm actually living resurrection. Resurrection, not merely a resuscitation. My dear friends, who have you come here looking for this morning? Have you come looking for a, a Christ who will merely resuscitate you? Because if you have, Jesus would like to offer you something greater. For Jesus the Christ promises to bring resurrection, to bring a radical new way of life, a radical new beginning to you and to me and to our entire world. For they arrived early in the morning. It was still dark. The stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. For he was gone. For he was a new creation. Therefore, you and I, we are too, for we are all promised resurrection on this Resurrection Sunday. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, world without end, amen.